This is another iRaw podcast. My name is Katya and this is The Animal That Changed You. I believe loving an animal is one of the most accessible, most available portals for self-healing in the whole world. It's my privilege to encourage you to open your heart to animals and challenge you to deepen your compassion just a little bit more. Welcome to The Animal That Changed You. What's up, party peeps? I am thrilled to be bringing a bonus episode to you. Guys, you know what's so cool that's happening here at The Animal That Changed You? Just making new friends. And that's the best part, is meeting people, you know, all of us who come together and love animals in whatever way, shape, or form, and to whatever degree, some of us crazy like me, that we do. And I've made some new podcast friends who do animal-centric, animal-related podcasts. And I just want to talk to them and want to bring them to your life. And so that's what I'm doing. I did just eat a whole bunch of corn dippers. Do you guys know what corn dippers are? They're these Frito-like chips from Trader Joe's. I have no idea why I'm telling you this. They are a corn chip. They're said to be organic. I don't get paid by corn dippers. I just really want you to know how much I love them and how dangerous they are to have in my home. And I felt like sharing with you the love of a corn dip. Just do with that what you will. But thank you for being here for this bonus episode. Thank you for being here in general, period, the end. Thank you for being you, loving your animals. Let's get to it. Well, well, well. Welcome, Naomi Rodenberg. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. I'm so glad you're here and you know what's coming. I'm going to geek out about you for a minute. Okay. Hi. Yeah. Are you cool with that? Super. Sounds great. Wonderful. All right, you guys. So Naomi Rotenberg is the host behind um, It's Training Cats and Dogs, which is a podcast that I really, really enjoy because she focuses and specializes in the relationship between dogs and cats and the people who love both the dogs and the cats that live in a home together. That's her area of expertise. She is a KPA CTP certified dog trainer. She's going to tell us a little bit more about what that means. She is also FPPE. That's another series of letters after her name. We're going to talk about that too. Her business is called Praiseworthy Pets and she's also a human mom. So she's a double mom. You know how I feel about double moms. She's got human kids and animal kids and she does it all. And I'm so happy you're here. Hi, Naomi. Hi, I cannot talk, wait to talk about all of my kids. <laughs> um, should we start by talking about what those initials mean? Sure. And okay, let's start there. And then we're going to hear about the animals that changed you. And I know your kids probably changed you to the human ones, but we're going to focus on the furry ones. Yeah. So the first certification is KPA CTP. That's a Karen Pryor Academy certified training. Nice. Program. Nice. Um, so that is a fairly intensive, like online plus practical program. Last about six months, um, working on teaching trainers how to train. Mm. And so, yay, certified, check on that. Um, and it's not necessarily just for dogs, although we tend to use dogs in the program. Sure. Um, but it's a lot of cross species work as well. And then FPPE is Family Paws Parent Educator. Hello to Jennifer Shylock, who is the head of that. Yes, Um, and I'm getting my certification in that right now. So I'm so happy to see those initials. Those are those are important to me. You want to explain to this wonderful community what all that means? Yeah, talking about the double mom thing. So it's a program to help trainers learn how to appropriately prepare parents who are either going to become parents (laughs) um, or currently have younger children or even school-age children for how to appropriately navigate the world of having children and dogs. Um, And there's a lot of really great information out there that is sadly not very widely known. And so- Mm -hmm. I love that um, Family Paws 
um, educators are all about sort of like really slowing down and, and honing in on that space. Like just, you know, Jennifer um, Shylock, the woman who runs it and her team, they're wonderful. But the way they talk about, you know, if you have an older kid and now you're pregnant with your second kid, you do so much to prepare that child for a new child, right? Mm -hmm. You're like, you're going to be a big brother or a big sister. And here are books about how upset you're going to feel. And I am going to expect that. And I'm going to make space for that and pay attention and be there with you in the heart. But with mm -hmm. our dogs, we don't um, have a lot of programs in place that sort of encourage us to do the same thing, to prepare success stations, enrichment programs, let them have opinions about the fact that we grew our family. We decided, we decided to, but they didn't necessarily. <laughs> yeah. I say that about the dogs and the cats too. They didn't choose <laughs> to get an extra being in the house. Um, okay. You're going to have a lot of feelings about it. And if they don't have the correct coping mechanisms or skills to be able to handle the change in routine and the change in expectations, um, change in attention that the humans yeah. might be them, all of that stuff really can affect their behavior. And it's up to us to try to help parents. <laughs> um, now it's a huge, it's a huge thing that people sadly end up figuring out a little bit too late and it's kind that's of playing the, catch up. That's the thing. Yeah. And I'm so glad to hear, by the way, a shout out to the Karen Pryor program, because I, I mean, don't shoot the dog is like, I read it every year. That book is just like, I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to read it again. You know, it's just so good. And she's so good. And she sort of took that dog training mindset into something deeper. I think um, there are others like Patricia McDonald, but like, I love her stuff. And so that's so cool that you got to be a part of her program. Well, she, it's a very big program now. So she is retired out of it, uh, but uh, can Ramirez, nice, Karen. Yeah. <laughs> Ken Ramirez is the head of uh, KPA now. So wonderful. And he's a, uh, can I curse on this podcast? Oh my God, please. Okay, great. He's a badass. So great. Um, everyone should know about Ken Ramirez. He's like cross species awesomeness. Um, but that's a whole different kettle of fish. A different spiel. A kettle of fish? <laughs> oh, that's cute. I haven't heard that in a long time. Yeah, Let's bring back not. kettle of fish, everyone. Naomi. Have you always been an animal lover? And how long have you been an animal trainer? Yes. So the answer is yes. I have always been an animal lover. I have mm -hmm. not had animals my whole life. Okay. Um, my parents worked more than full time and my dad was allergic to yeah. most animals. Um, and I was a very responsible child, but they did not, you know, it wasn't a thing. We weren't going to have pets in the house. We had fish. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Maryland, right oh, outside cool. DC. Yeah. And so I was that kid who like went to the library back when people went to libraries and checked out books. Um, so I was like, it. I'm getting the breed, like the breakdown of the AKC breeds and I'm memorizing all of them. And I'm like, watched all the shows and uh, animal planet, all of that, you know, yeah, much as knowledge as I could get without actually having a pet. And I made the promise to myself very young, I said, okay, I'm great. When I graduate college and I have a house, I'm getting animals. So yeah. fast forward, I did that. Um, I graduated and three weeks later, I got my cat. And then a year after that, I got my dog. We can talk about them. Um, but rewinding a little bit, the first animal that changed me was my best friend's dog named Kobe. And we were lucky enough to sit him occasionally and he was this cute little white fluffy thing and everyone he was very you know social everyone wanted to pet him and he was okay with that um and i just remember like when we would have him and we would take him to the park or whatever and everyone said oh can i pet your dog and i was like i got to pretend he was my dog <laughs> 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 right. I was like, I didn't say, oh, you know, he's my friend's dog. We're just watching. I was like, oh, yes, sure. you totally can not, you know, with the knowledge that I know now, maybe looking back on his body language, I might've said been not as um, open, mm -hmm. but was a very social dog. 
And I got that kind of fulfillment that I had of like, yes, this is my dog. We work together. I actually wrote a poem about it. My parents still have it on their fridge. It's very silly. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so he was that first animal that I really had a personal Connection. relationship with. Um, and yes, he was hypoallergenic. So it was okay that he came to my house. Um, so I didn't have any, you know, animal contact really. Um, in college, I studied developmental psychology. So I was working with kids. Um, so AB, all that, it's all related. All learning was there. Exactly. You know, yeah. the switch from social cognitive development in humans to animal training was relatively seamless. Sure. Um, but, you know, I went to graduate school and I said, here's my animal. So I went to the shelter and I, um, I was engaged at the time, but my now husband was living in Providence, finishing up med school and I was in New Haven. And so I went to the shelter and I put my purse down. It was one of those big purses because I carried everything, including my laptop, graduate student. And I put it down and there was this, you know, open space cat area. Um, mm. Dogs were in kennels. Cats were mostly out. There were some in, in um, cages, but everyone was kind of free. How fun. And it was really fun. It was very nice. Um, and all of the cats were sleeping. They like couldn't give two shits about the fact that humans came in. They were just like, whatever, I'm doing me. This is why I need to learn from cats. Because I'm like, <gasps> do you like me? Hi. Hey, 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 like me. Why don't you? What can I do to make you like me? It's like, come on, Katya, enough dog energy. I need, I need a cat. Go on. Yes. So this one cat, this little black, not black, he's gray with like tannish swirlies, just kind of like, <laughs> he's technical, like a, technical term. He's a diluted tuxedo with some like extra colors in there. Huh. Uh, very cute white paws. And he just like popped into my purse. Yeah. He was like, I'm, everyone else is being lazy. I'm, I'm coming home. I'm going uh, home. What a smart guy. <laughs> That's my spot. I just yeah. claimed it. Shotgun, whatever. Mine. I was like, cool. That was easy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so then, you know, I took him home and it was just me and him and he loved me. We snuggled. He got me through a major depression and deciding to change careers and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and I ended up working at a doggy daycare to pay the rent until I, you know, switched over to animal stuff. But he hated my fiance. Like <laughs> I didn't see this twist coming, Naomi. I didn't, I didn't know. We didn't live together at the time, right? So um he would come, you know, on weekends and he, this was a stranger and I lived alone. So, um, he was very cranky at the set, at the shelter. They said he hates being picked up. He really doesn't like being touched all of this stuff. And I was like, you know what? That's cool. I, he chose me. I'll let him be who he is. Great. And, um, yes. Go know, on. <laughs> so he was, but he, you know, he, was okay with me because we lived together 24 seven. And again, I was super depressed. So I was like in bed all the time. Oh, thanks buddy. Um, <laughs> so he was like, this person is great. You know, boys. we just like, she acts like a cat. <laughs> yeah. And my fiance would come over and it was like hissy, all of this, all of the like big behaviors that you see from cats. Um, yeah. And it turns out we, a year later, we took him for his wellness check because the shelter had said that they vetted him. Um, so we didn't have, you know, all of his shots. We didn't have to do that for another year. So we took him to um, his new vet in New York City, which we had moved to. Mm. And apparently half of his teeth were rotting. Oh my God, the pain. So he must have been in excruciating pain. No wonder he didn't want to be touched. No wonder he didn't want to be picked up. He had 11 teeth extracted. I can't even, that must, I can't even imagine the sore tenderness from that. Yeah. And I floss and it hurts. <laughs> I know. You know and I mean? cats, they're just so, they're very stoic about it. You would never know. And a lot of it just comes out in 
behavior. Cranky behavior. Um, because they're not gonna tell you that they're not feeling well. Mm -hmm. And he it's like he had a personality transplant, right? Like he he is now my husband's cat. He uh -huh. sleeps on him every night. Um he is so gentle with my kids. He's an old man now, <laughs> but he's you know that behavior change was so sudden yeah. that um very eye-opening for me because as i was a student of behavior at that time i hadn't really even given that much thought to the medical side of it um and a lot of us don't we 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 often hear oh get a med check you know in at, if you see some behavior changes or whatever but having had that experience yeah and that's like that knowledge of like how drastically this could make a difference. I mm -hmm. always incorporate that into my training plans and really make sure that we explore as many options as possible with that. Because a lot of cranky behavior is because they feel like shit. Yeah, it's a really good, it's a good point and it's a good um, story of just how stark it can be. And I think sometimes we're like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll do the behavior. Like, I feel like I've had experiences where it's like, yeah, I'll do the med check, but like I'm paying you as a trainer. So just like fix it. And I'm like, no, no, I can't fix it. Like I can, we, you can bond, we can, we can work together, then you'll have to do it. And, but right. if there's a medical thing going on, we, I mean, we, we haven't have even started. To, yeah. It doesn't have to be something so drastic either. No, I mean, it doesn't. A lot of reactivity is linked to stomach issues. Mm -hmm. So a lot of nutrition and, Interesting. um, you know, a lot of vets, you know, primary care vets are not really looking for that kind of stuff. Um, and so when you say, even when you say you get a med check, they might not be looking for the right stuff. They're going to take blood. They're going to do a physical to make sure there's like not a lot like excruciating pain. Yeah. But they might not catch a lot of these things that are actually really tend to affect behavior. Um, that's so fascinating. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't it be? It's the case for us. Our body and our mind are so connected, you know? Um, yeah. Is your kitty, what, what was this kitty's name? And would you say he's oh, the first animal that, that yes. changed you after Kobe? Yes. So this is Rio. Rio. What a good name. Yes. Rio. And yeah, he's my first child. Oh my God. Rio. And he me a lot in one other way too this is getting very personal but i had a I welcome it i'm assuming that that that's okay here. please um, it is literally <laughs> the point it's about yeah the, the animals animal. we love but the animals that change us but also how we're all equal and the animals are great equalizers yeah so i have a lot of anxiety we talked about depression um and i had had an intense Emetophobia, which is fear of throwing up, um, like panic attack worthy fears. Mm. And when you have a cat, they puke kind of a lot, <laughs> like unnecessary. They have, you know, they have hairballs. They're not sick. They just they have hairballs, or they eat too fast, and they're like, never mind. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm bringing that back into the world. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so I, as his caretaker, had to put my own stuff aside mm -hmm. and care very much about him and his comfort. And all of a sudden I was like, this is, this is really not that big of a deal. Um, I had really worried that I could not have young, that I couldn't have children because of this because wow. I wouldn't be able to be present for them because I would be having panic attacks if they were sick. Um, wow. And he was kind of my like first kid. I it made it clear that my caretaking and, and desire for, to, to, for him to be okay completely overrode my own anxiety, at least in that moment. Later on, I'd be like, well, that was gross. Um, but it wasn't that big a deal. And now I have four children of various species and I'm just like, oh, there's a bodily function over there. I wonder who did it. <laughs> yeah, no, there are many days where I tell my husband, like, what I really do for a living is clean up shit. Like, that's really what I do. 
Like I'm a, I'm just a shit cleaner. I'm more than I'm a writer or a podcaster or, you know, dog relationship coach, whatever I might be calling myself at the moment. Like I'm a shit cleaner. I clean <laughs> shit a lot. Like between my dogs, my fosters, my kids, there's a cat in the mix that I want to take care of. You know, it's just a lot of shit, Naomi. Literally and figuratively. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, worth it. But, and I, I, I can really relate to this um, way that a mental hangup, and I don't say that dismissively. It's interesting. I'm on the other end of the spectrum. Trigger warning uh, for those listening. I'm about to mention eating disorders. I'm a recovering bulimic. So I have a different relationship with throwing up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know what it's like to be so afraid of something that I mentally feel like I can't handle. And I get sort of locked inside of that. Mm-hmm. And then to have this animal that you love and you have to be okay for to take care of them, which somehow makes you okay. And they're out of your head. They're mm-hmm. out there. So you can touch them and therefore you're not trapped in that little, you know, jail of your own making in your head with the fear for mm-hmm. me of being fat and thus unlovable mm-hmm. because I ate something or a million somethings. Mm-hmm. Um, and for you, I would imagine it probably felt really out of control for someone to throw up in front of you. It's a wildly out of control thing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is. Any, I mean, you know, I couldn't have, I, we normally, it's, it's a normal thing to sometimes feel a little bit sick to your stomach and nothing happens, right? You're totally. not sick, nothing's actually wrong with you, but that was not acceptable for me. Mm, that's so interesting. And I love that Rio happened to you before your kids. So you would be ready. Yes. Yes. Um, he's, he's my guy. He's, he's kind of, you know, gone off to the husband's side it's fine because I have this other little white fluff thing that is definitely mine (laughs) um I am his person uh this is a good segue to the uh the other you know non-human animal in my life who I'm staring at right now his name is Ori U-R-I um it's an Israeli name by the way I love that name yeah um and his name is Ori. He was snowy in the shelter, but that's just way too obvious. He's a mini American Eskimo dog. So, oh gosh, so um, smart. So really like literally just a f- like, he looks like he's put his paw in an electric socket. Like his hair is <laughs> like, st- <laughs> right. It, it doesn't, it doesn't go down. It's just, um, and his ears, his ears are, and his tail is, and it's just very, you know, it's, it's adorable. Um, oh, I love. <laughs> should put a picture. Of For him. sure. I'm going to oh. need one. I'm going to need a picture. And um, he, so we moved to Brooklyn. Um, we had Rio. We moved to a one bedroom apartment in Brooklyn. And I had asked at the shelter for Rio. I said, I know I'm going to get a dog. Is this cat dog friendly? Not that they actually know, but they said yes. Um, mm. It turns out that he is. Thankfully. <laughs> um, you know, people, I had people come to you, family, you know, yeah. at least to the point that I knew at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was still a little newbie, little trainer, and I, you know, knew just enough to be dangerous, kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, so I, go to the shelter. We had lived there for about a week. We had just gotten married. <laughs> I was like, great, we're going to get a dog. Oh, sorry for everyone with the, with the loud clap. We're getting a dog. Um, <laughs> we got and, excited. <laughs> yeah. Very excited. This was like the, the pinnacle of my life, right? Like I had had this goal of like, I'm getting animals here. I am. I'm getting animals and my I life, my life now. Yep. and they're going to be amazing. And I love behavior. And this is, this is great. Um, so he, this is his story. He was dropped off at the shelter in a duffel bag overnight. So he was sitting in front of a shelter overnight in a duffel bag. Oh my God. Oh my God. And he was severely underweight. He was about 12 pounds. He weighs 20 now. Um, and 
behaviorally a fucking mess. <laughs> I mean, I bet. I mean, I mean, you don't live hungry and in a duffel bag for even one minute without having some stuff happen yeah. to you traumatically. So needless to say, this dog could never be created. Mm-hmm. Confinement is an issue. Mm-hmm. He was extremely hand shy. Um, Spitz types, which is what he is, like Pomeranians, um, tend to be really barky. They're bred to be alert dogs. He is a very good alert dog. We call him, you know, he's the little vicious sentry. He doesn't actually, he doesn't bite. He's just very, very like hair trigger. Yeah. Um, I hear something, I bark. I bark first, ask questions later. Totally. I relate to you, Uri. <laughs> and the biggest thing living in Brooklyn was that he was extremely dog reactive. Mm-hmm. Like, one of the worst I've ever seen. Mm. Um, luckily, he's hard. a little dog, and I, I don't like to treat little dogs differently than big dogs in general. But at least I could control him physically. He would bark, spin, jump, like all of lunge for at any dog that he saw over about a long block in yeah. New York, which for people who know anything about New York, you, you can't, you can't go a block without, without seeing, seeing the million dollars. Yeah. yeah. So for people listening, I have two follow-ups if I may, how did you, ha- I know every dog is an individual and every case is individual because people have not only different lifestyles, but different expectations and ways they can manage a situation. But how did you personally handle a being able to walk him and a being able to walk him and B the hand shy once you had kids. Ah, brilliant. So the walking. Number one, I lived in a high rise, mm-hmm. uh, which was a which a pet friendly high rise. It was a nightmare. Luckily, we lived on the third floor, so I took the stairs. Great. And then I would pick him up through the lobby. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he would bark and be totally horrible, but I could hold on to him. Mm-hmm. We would get out and most of the time we would just pee and go right back. Mm-hmm. Um, we were not walking for pleasure. We did once uh, in the morning, we went to the park, Fort Green Park, people know about it. Um, and it's like a dog park, basically unofficially <laughs> until nine. Yeah. Um, okay. And what I found was that he was not reactive in the same way, which this happens with a lot of dogs, not reactive in the same way off leash. So there's a lot of barrier frustration going on there. Um, He is not dog friendly by any stretch of the imagination. He would rather, he played his little fetch. He had like three doggy friends, everyone else he would sniff and he immediately says, I'm done. Um, And to this day, that's who he is. But off leash, he has impeccable body language skills, um, which I think is fascinating. I actually, when I was still doing like puppy training and stuff like that, he was brilliant with young puppies because he didn't want to play with them, but he would appropriately tell them that they were being too much. Mm -hmm. And so he was a perfect adult dog for them. It's interesting because, you know, I always tell people they have fight or flight when they're on the leash, they cannot flight. Like mm-hmm. they know that they have one option if they feel any discomfort. And, uh, you know, if, if anyone is going to trust their dog to, you know, potentially use the flight option, it's going to be a trainer. So I'm glad that you were able to do it, see it and pass it on. Well, I cannot take credit. Remember, I was a baby, baby trainer. Yeah. So I actually hired another trainer. Her name is Vivian. Yeah. Awesome. Um, at the time we worked on some leash skills and she was the one who suggested to see how he does off leash. Um, because his world was not a world if he didn't have that. Sure. Um, he is to this day, exceedingly a home buddy. And now that he is actually getting older, I'm he's become slightly agoraphobic. (laughs) We live in Philadelphia now. Um, 
where there's much more space. We don't see dogs nearly as much. Um, he has a little yard in the back. And, you know, and I'm kind of just letting him be him. He's actually starting on fluoxetine soon because I did, I am seeing a behavior change. Um, I didn't put him on meds back then. It's interesting though, because you are a trainer and I want to just call out two things. One, therapists don't usually treat their own children. Correct. For a reason, right? There's all this emotionality that us people, we walk around caring and dogs too in a different way, but it's really us who, you know, bring all our memories and future projections. Um, Thus, even as trainers, we hire trainer. Yes. Um, That's A. And B, that there's a lot of acceptance about the dog he is. There's work you do and work you did. I'm going to hold you out of the lobby to avoid giving you the practice to freak out. I'm going to carry you out, bring you back. But I'm not going to pretend that I'm going to change your entire personality. No, I love him for who he is. And (laughs) I call him my spirit animal because Mm. he is me mm-hmm. it's anxiety like he and I are like you can't see me everyone but I mean we're like we're this he knows when I'm feeling upset I know when he's feeling upset he will if I'm in the house he will not go anywhere with anyone else sure if I'm not there he, he'll like you know do whatever but so I have a question right now in terms yeah. of your trainer mind and your child development psychology background yes i have a theory i'm toying around with because you said that he is you and you are him and so you could it was a big deal to accept him for who he is Mm -hmm. i had that experience with phoebe my shepherd who was more of a dragon than a dog Mm -hmm. and um i think what frustrated frustrated me so much about her was all the ways that she was a reflection of myself Mm. And, and it wasn't till the end and definitely after in her passing that I was able to be more honest with myself about the fact that I, yeah, I am a willful person and I will, I will, my eyeballs will focus on something I want till, I mean, nothing can break my focus for better or for worse. It's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> um, a lot of the Belgian Malinois, shepherdy bullshit that I dealt with 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 Phoebe I'm like that's me that sort of worry the scarcity scarcity mindset like is there enough love for me but is there more I need more yeah I still work on that shit every day my point is what is the psychological tendency of like I think parents do this too we get frustrated by the beings that we take care of who are the most like us where we see ourselves and we do not want to and we do not want to identify with that. And why is it so hard? And how many people dislike or are frustrated by their pets because they're not aware that they do it too, mm-hmm. that their pet is reminding them to look inside? Like, what is the likelihood of that? Because I think it's pretty high. Y- yes. I think that there's probably a chicken and egg kind of thing a little bit in that, Mm -hmm. you know, our behavior affects their behavior and their behavior affects our behavior. So they might not have come out of the box Mm. similar to us or as similar to us, but we inform each other um, and our behavioral repertoires. But in terms of not liking that mirror, uh, it's a big, it's a big thing. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's something that people who self-reflect a lot can hopefully often kind of work through it cerebrally, but in your heart, that immediate fight or flight. Yeah. Um, that in, I mean, for me, I, he makes me mad a lot. He really <laughs> does. Um, I'm glad you can admit that. I think that makes a good trainer. I really do. First of all, I don't think that there's a one size fits all trainer. I think different kinds of animals need different kinds of trainers, but I think a trainer who understands and empathizes with the frustrations and the disappointments and the challenges who can say like, yeah, I get really, I get, I have to regulate inside and it's really hard. 
I really that's, yeah, for me, like that's the kind of trainer I want to work with and I want to listen to because I don't feel like a colossal failure. I actually feel like, oh my God. Okay. So it's okay. I'm okay. And now I'm looking forward and up. I'm, I'm going on ahead, trying to do my best. And I, I need that permission. I constantly need that permission. Yeah. I find, I do think that part of my role as a trainer is to normalize normal, not so pleasant human emotions when you're mm. under stress, when your animal is under stress, when you don't know what to do, confusion is extremely aversive. Um, <laughs> and frustration is extremely aversive. And so when people contact trainers, that's at the forefront of their mind. You know, they say that they're what they need is they need to, their dog to walk on leash nicely and not bark or whatever. But what they're really calling about is, can you please help me not out of this non-understanding of how I'm supposed to move forward? Mm -hmm. um, what do I do? What yeah. do I do? And especially like now on the internet, like there's a lot of advice. And so yeah. a lot of people are trying to do things in a DIY kind of way. And so even more so, if they do end up calling a trainer, it's because that they need that person to guide them through all of the muck. Um, and so I really take that to heart in terms of my training is like, I'm here to give you a path. Um, but really the, the thing that is I've found as I've been training uh, almost 10 years now um, is that I don't know the path ahead of time. I have ideas for what the path might look like, but I am not the map writer. I am the like travel companion. So That's a like, great way to put it. I love that. That's a great way to put it. You know, yes. I've been down these various paths before with other people. I'm like the guide who is willing to reroute if necessary if the person that I'm with is is struggling so what do you what did you do with um so I don't forget to ask the you know hand shy and your kids how did you navigate that as a travel companion for yourself yeah so <laughs> I that was one of the things that I worked extremely hard on with Ori so I didn't have my kids I he had he was with me for three years before I had my first child so we had a lot of time <laughs> to work on hand shy, um, classical conditioning, hundred yeah. percent. Um, and I was a huge advocate. I, I let no one even try to pet him. Um, he would, he would tell you, right. He didn't sure. like when people looked at him. He didn't like, I mean, the problem is he's fucking cute. So everyone's looking at him. They ask if they can pet him. And I'm like, and I said, I'll stop. Um, he would not do this. I was like, he will jump and bite your face. <laughs> Whatever it takes for, I don't, we have to- Get away from me, yeah. We have to practice advocating for our loved ones, whether they're animals or children, right? We have to advocate for them. This is, I'm telling myself, you guys, as much as I'm saying it, in, you know, in general, I'm not talking to or at anyone here. I'm reminding myself too, that like, we have to practice advocating for our animals because they their needs, setting them up to succeed has got to mean more than what we look like to another person or how another person's going to feel about our answer. It just, yeah. it just can't tip the scale. They need us. They need us to do that. And if you're, if you're someone who didn't have that in your own life, if you didn't have somebody advocate for you, I am so sorry. And I am not a therapist, but you can DM me or Naomi here and, mm -hmm. and just share about it. Um, but giving that to your animals in a way gives it to yourself. Yeah, the the advocacy is a huge part of the management, especially in, in New York, where I had very little control over anything else in the environment. It was yeah. just maintain that little bubble around mm -hmm. us. Um, and so the goal was that anyone who was allowed to interact with him, we did a lot of treat retreat we did a lot of hand touch being a cue to move away back to me he'd get a cookie um so that 
we basically either did straight classical conditioning where if someone's hands came out, he was getting food chucked behind me. Yes. And then also if I had that person who was able to help, um, then we would do some basically some um, operant counter conditioning. So here's a, a behavior that you can do in this situation to obtain some reinforcement functional aka going away from that hand yeah um, and so how and, did i'm sorry to cut you off what you said i was saying and a cookie as like a, a bonus interesting you, yeah okay so i want to i want to just oh but the last of, oh yes 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 sorry i told no, no. like please okay, this so is what we do a hand shy dog who is never going to be totally fixed around children. Um, I did a lot of management when I was, a, when they were little. Um, he knows off. <laughs> so if he's ever in a place that's too close to them, I either tell him to get off of whatever the, um, the furniture is, or I move him around to my other sides so that I'm always in between them. Um, and my children were never encouraged to touch the dog. I was going to say that's a piece of it is setting up our children to succeed too. You know, my kids smush all over our pets. And I, I swear to you, I don't think there's a day that goes by where I, I don't say like, this is not how we interact with every dog. I don't, I'm so, I don't, I need them to understand that they can't go to a friend's house and go try to kiss that dog. Yeah. You know, so I think in, in being honest with our, our kids about our, what our own animals, um, you know, like or dislike or what their body positioning is telling us is so important too. as much as we're working with our dogs, we also have to work with our kids. Yeah, I always say that having become a human parent, um, it is a lot easier to train the dog than it is to train the kids. <laughs> Okay, so I have a question here before we finish because you and I bonded over extinction bursts. Yes. And you guys, oh God, extinction bursts are so fun to me because they're everywhere all the time. What is an extinction burst? Thank you for asking. It's when a behavior, before a behavior extinguishes, it sort of rises up to its highest crescendo. And that is usually an indication that it's actually about to start dissipating and weakening. So here's a great example. You work on the 10th floor of your office building. You go push the elevator button. The elevator doesn't come. You're aghast because the elevator comes every time you push the button. What do you do? You know what you do. You push the elevator button 40 times in a row, huffing and puffing, and you're so pissed off before you go to the stairs and say, I cannot believe the elevator doesn't work. That's Monday. Tuesday, you go, you push the elevator button. It doesn't come. You cannot believe this. You're screaming. You push it maybe 33 times, 35 times. You take the stairs eventually. Maybe by Friday, the next week, I'm not sure when it depends on you. You don't even go to the elevator anymore. You just naturally take the stairs. But what it takes for you to stop pushing that button a thousand times or however many times and having a fit and changing your behavior to be like, you know what? The stairs are good for me. That's, that's, what a trainer has to help you through. And Naomi, did, did I say that correctly in your estimation? Yes, so okay. extinction occurs when a behavior that has previously been reliably reinforced is no longer reinforced in that context. Thank so, you for clarifying that very, very good point. It has <laughs> been reinforced. That means that you've had intentionally or not intentionally. You've gotten the thing that right. you wanted that was supposed to happen. Right. Now, you can train with extinction. It's exceedingly mm -hmm. frustrating and aversive, as you were saying, for mm -hmm. the learner. What happens if you, as the building manager, say, you know what, why don't I just put a in, you know, under repair sign mm -hmm. on the elevator? No one's gonna push the button that much. They might try it once or twice, but then they're like, okay, there's a clear signal. It's not working. I'm That's not right. going to go through all of this angst and, <laughs> you know, literally like feeling your blood pressure rise and all of these physiological things that you go through when you're un in a frustration, you know, cloud. Um, so the way I like to think about our job as 
trainers who are looking to decrease frustration as much as possible, be as clear as possible for our animals is to try to avoid extinction as much as possible. So Which if you are- Why you, you had the off command. I'm gonna tell Uri to get off before my kids get too close. It's smart, go on, please. I see it, I see it now. <laughs> so, and you have to think of it in certain contexts as well. So, um, you know, it's, it's just that elevator, mm -hmm. not necessarily another elevator in a different building. Um, if you realized that, if, you know, okay, that elevator, bing, 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 that's not working, it's not working, it's not working, you're going to go to the next elevator in the bay and try yeah. the same thing. Um, so it's very context specific. Behavior is brought on by all of the information and cues in the environment. And so what I like to make sure everyone knows is that when you're seeing an animal make an, a mis quote unquote mistake more than twice, you are in charge of making it clear what behavior is going to get the reinforcement. And you don't have to use force or punishment. It's, it, you really don't. It's about manipulating when you give attention and reinforcement and removing it for something you don't approve of, correct? Well, yeah, I mean, the thing that is important is when you are trying to reinforce an alternative behavior. So in your elevator example, let's say it's going down the stairs, mm -hmm. right? It would be, my job would be to manage the environment to decrease the amount of opportunity that you have to make the wrong choice pushing the elevator button. So I would do that by putting a gate up over the elevator and putting that sign that says out of order, right? You're given so many cues that that behavior is not going to work. And you might put a sign that says stairs this way. Sure. Right. And that would be reinforcing. If you were extra fancy, you would say free lattes. I was going to say, and then you have a free coffee there. The Shit, I'm taking the stairs right now. Right. And what's interesting is like, okay, in the workplace, this is a really fun example um, that we're riffing on. In the workplace, a lot of people are, you know, they're, they're incentivizing um, healthy choices, right? Don't use the elevator um, and use the stairs. You get positive reinforcement, pay bonuses, lattes, whatever. I don't know. Um, I don't work in an office because I work for myself. <laughs> um, but that would be an extra incentive then to continue using the stairs even after the elevator is fixed. Mm -hmm. So when that management for that previously reinforced behavior of pushing the elevator button is gone, you are more likely to still take the stairs because you have this new history of extra reinforcement. That's right. Um, so we can do that for our cats and dogs with the help of a trainer. If it's not something that we can think through piece by piece on our own, I mean, that is totally normal and okay. That's what trainers are for. It's hard. It can be tedious. It can be dull. It can take a lot of time and patience. And that's where someone like Naomi is helpful. Yeah, I think that the coming up with the plan that going down which path, right? Mm -hmm. That's, again, that's my, my job. And it's doubly important because most people come, they say, I need my animal to stop doing blank, stop pushing the elevator button, right? And when we as humans, we live in a punishment culture everybody. Mm -hmm. so, Unfortunately. So we can't, if, unless we're trained, we, we are trained to, we cannot get ourselves outside of that mindset mm -hmm. um, to be able to say, actually, there are different ways that I could use management to decrease the, the amount of the button pushing. And I can use reinforcement to increase the chances that they're going to use the stairs. Um, those are ideas that you're very unlikely to see on your own unless you have this experience and knowledge. Totally. So don't feel bad if your brain goes to, my dog is barking, I'm going to go get a bark collar, because that's where our brains 
go, right? That's, because we've been socially trained to- We've been conditioned, exactly. right? Exactly, we've been conditioned. It doesn't mean we then say, that's the way I'm going to work on this. <laughs> um, you know, there's many different ways to approach a problem. Um, but the that initial guilt that a lot of people have when they come to, to me, they say, I didn't, I use all of these methods that I, I feel I'm ashamed now that I did this to my animal. And well, I say, it's okay. I'm so glad you do, Naomi, because at the end of the day, and I, and I know this is a controversial thing to say, again, saying it for myself included. Okay, peeps, guilt and shame keep it about us. They keep it about our own self. And what I love the most about animals, and I will change every day what that thing is because I just love them so much. But today, what I love most about animals is that it's never about me. It's about everyone else and me. It's about them and me. It's about you and me. It's always connective. Every single time I let them be more important than just like my guilt and my shame and my, my, it just, that my and that me drops away and it's way bigger than me. And I am so thankful for that. So Naomi, listeners who are hearing you and going, I have problems with my cats and dogs or just dogs or just cats, but who are we kidding? They probably have both because they pe they're people like us who love their animals or changed <laughs> by animals. Where can they DM you with questions about their extinction bursts and their, you know, hand shy animals and where can they get more info and learn more from you um, and follow you and get in touch? So I am primarily on Instagram at praiseworthy pets. I answer all DMs um, and will hopefully point you in the right direction if it's not me. Um, and I have a bunch of resources on there. My website is praiseworthypets.com. Um, but in general, Instagram is the way to go. You can, if you have cats and dogs and you're really like, I need help with that in particular, there is a contact form on my uh, website that is specifically for that and would get you kind of in the pipeline to, to work together. And your podcast. Can oh you, yeah. Can you remind us of- <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Guys, <Good job> me. <laughs> Naomi and I are on um, going back and forth on each other's show. And I really like that because I want to talk to her for a long time, but go on. Yes, please plug your show. I love your show. And I've listened to many, many, many episodes. Thank you for uh, reminding me. Yeah, I love my podcast. It's called It's Training Cats and Dogs. Yes, it's very punny, everybody. Um, and you can find it wherever you find your podcasts. Um, we shall. We <laughs> shall. And I'm so glad that you came on to this one. Um, and, and thanks for coming to talk and hang out with us on The Animal That Changed You. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to The Animal That Changed You, a weekly podcast that features extraordinary people talking about the extraordinary animal that changed their life. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Follow us on Instagram at The Animal That Changed You and tell your friends. If you've got a story about an animal that's changed your life, DM me, tell me about it, or, or tag us. We would love to hear. We appreciate you, and honestly, we love your animals so much. Thanks for being here. For more great iRaw podcasts, visit iRawPod.com. That's I-R-O-A-R-P-O-D.com.